Hey guys, welcome to the Ancient Plan podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'm joined by my co-ho race, Ray, my co-host, Ray. <laughs> Gotta talk slower. And and uh, we have a special guest with us today, which um we're super excited about, Natasha Burgess. So Natasha, welcome to the Hi. Ancient Plan. Good to be uh, here. Yeah, Natasha, I, Natasha's got, I've seen she do these TikTok videos where she talks about the return of Jesus and different things related to that. And they're so good. And uh, so Natasha, just tell us a little bit about that and how you got interested in the return of Jesus message. Sure. So, um, yeah, I do. They're like these 60 second clips. Um, I started posting them and then um, I got involved with a ministry called One Voice, and there's like a branch off of it called The Well Women, and they have Gen Z for Jesus. And so the objective is um, there's a statistic that like 86% of Gen Z will hear the gospel for the first time through the internet. And so the heart behind it is to infiltrate the internet so that they're hearing the truth of the gospel preached. So wow. that initiative with them, I really enjoy it. And then... Um, yeah, eschatology, day of the Lord. I have Ray to thank for that. <laughs> He's been just a discipler and mentor to my husband and I, him and his wife. So they're our dear friends. And uh, yeah, we've just learned so much from walking with them. That's so cool. And do you have like, where can people go if they want to check out some of the resources that you're making? Yeah, available uh, actually, so it's most uh, mostly on Instagram. There is some stuff on TikTok, but uh, it is like a TikTok style video. So just really quick 60 seconds. But um, yeah, I have an Instagram it's just under my name. And then um, most of the videos are posted to an Instagram page called The Well Women. And that's where there's like a lot of engagement and specific prayer focuses. It's really that page is really um, geared towards moms and women in general. But yeah, that's where most of the content is. Okay, awesome. Well, we're super excited that you're with us today. Looking forward to the conversation. So, so Ray, if you, I, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. So if I type in at Natasha Burgess, uh, that would be accurate to your Instagram? Um, it's, it's like at Natasha and then K is my middle initial Burgess. But yeah, if you, I don't know if you typed in my name, what would pull up, but at Natasha. <laughs> All right. I'm putting it in the comments. Oh, my goodness. Oh, good idea. Good idea. So, Ray, testimony, dude. You got any uh, anything the Lord's been stirring up in you? Yeah. So I was I was headed to pick up some materials for something on uh, painting my house or I can't remember. I was going to get something for my house to work on my house. And uh, I stopped at Wendy's to get breakfast on the east side of Springfield. And there was this guy there. His car was broken down and I'm looking at him. I'm in the drive-thru and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at like smoke coming out of his tailpipe. <laughs> it was, it was a rough situation. Like I'm pretty sure the car is junk, uh, but I'm looking, at, I'm looking at him and, and he makes eye contact with me and I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm like looking around my car. Do I have a tool, something I can help him with? You know, I, I knew that I couldn't. So, uh, I, I kind of just went about my business and then I looked over at him again. He looked at me again and I'm like, man, if we keep making eye contact, I'm going to have to go and talk to this guy. So I drive through, I get my breakfast. Um, I, I kind of ignored it. You know, I didn't, I was like, hey, there's not much I can do, you know? And um, so I, I get my breakfast, I pull out onto, it's called Kearney street. Oh, and yeah, I start I've heading there. Yeah. I start heading West. 
um, it's down by West Bypass. So I head west on West Bypass, towards West Bypass. And the Lord's like, turn around. <laughs> and so I turn around and I go back to the parking lot and I talk to the guy and uh, just shared a couple of things with him. And so anyway, his name is Chris. He's actually a pastor here in town uh, at another church called The Well. And uh, he's actually going to come to Bible study uh, tonight. We do Bible study on Tuesday night. And so oh, wow. um, just, it was cool. It was a cool little matchup that the Lord did. Um, I would have, I would have just went about my business and the Holy spirit was just like, nah, you got to go back and talk to that guy. And so uh, a lot more happened than that, but I don't want to discuss all the ins and outs of our conversation, but it was just, it was the Lord and it was, you know, set up by him. So it was really good. Wow. Praise God. And, um, yeah, I guess uh, trying to think. So it, I'm just, I'm trying to think which testimony to share because your testimony <laughs> triggered another one. And I'm like, should I go with my original one or should I do this other one? Save the other one for next week. Okay. That sounds yeah. good. So the, um, yeah, I guess what's just been stirring in my heart is um, uh, just excitement over what, over what the Lord is doing in this season in the earth. Um, I just feel like we are at such a strategic moment in the earth. Uh, I feel like we're in a season of transition. Um, and we're, there are just some catalytic things that are unfolding that are in God's grand plan. I mean, to, to bring salvation and redemption to all the nations, like, uh, and and I'm so excited about that. You know, May 14th, um, the send event in Kansas City. Um, you know, my whole family's going to that. We got people from my church that are going to that. Um, I'm so excited for that. The Lord is all over that event. Mm. And um, I feel like it's gonna be such a catalytic thing. I, I think it's gonna trigger some things that 20, 30 years from now, I think we're gonna be looking back at that event and going wow like just the the events that the ripple effect from what the lord's doing through that i think is going to be huge for for the completion of the great commission reaching all the unreached people groups with the gospel to the salvation of israel and ultimately to the day of the lord and uh, the return of jesus so i'm just so pumped man i'm so grateful to be alive right now part of the body of christ and i also feel I feel excited, but I feel sober uh, at the same time because I see the need for uh, deeper consecration in my own life. Um, And, and even honestly, and just my own family, my own church, my own everything. I'm just seeing like, Oh God, you know, get us, get us to that place. This morning I was just meditating on second Timothy chapter two verses 20 and onward. And he's just talking about like how to be a vessel that is used for noble purposes Mm. and the need for consecration and the need to, to flee from the evil desires of youth while pursuing righteousness and, and the things of the kingdom. And anyway, the passage just goes on, but that's just the stuff that's stirring in me. I just feel like so blessed to be alive right now and part of the body of Christ. And, um, and yet also, sober like god help me help me to be focused uh in this season and not distracted so um yeah i know that's some of the stuff stirring in me amen that's amazing heard from bob jones to mike bickle like 
years ago, probably like three decades ago or something. And he prophesied that um, the Kansas City Chiefs would win the Super Bowl and that following their win, there would be a gathering at Arrowhead mm-hmm. Stadium. So obviously they didn't win in February, but they won last year. And there, the sin didn't happen last year. No gathering happened because of, like, I think it was, like, COVID regulations still and, like, Casey, like, up their mandate again and all this stuff. But this would be the first event since um, they've won the Super Bowl. And mm-hmm. the prophecy was that the event would be a catalyst to the billion soul harvest, like, that it would kick off the, like, clock of the countdown for Come it. Come on. That yeah. So I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. And And here's the crazy thing. So even in all the apparent delays, you know, because they were wanting to do this in 2020 and, right. you know, they just were having a hard time getting it scheduled because of all the COVID stuff. And and it ends up being where, um, you know, Bob Jones prophesied how, uh, you know, back then, this is the Kansas City prophetic history, um, you know, how he talked about in the same way that, you know, Harry S. Truman was a political intercessor for Israel that that um even like these uh uh this prayer movement that god would be raising up on harry s truman's property in kansas city uh would actually be um uh, part of the intercessor movement for israel wow uh for the salvation of israel and of course we're meeting on harry s truman's property in truman's sports complex uh in kansas city uh and here's the crazy thing this morning. Uh, I just saw this this morning, I, I, an email that was sent out by Lou Engel. The day, you know, when they were scheduling the send, the only date available to them in that time frame was May 14th. So they, you know, they took it. They took May 14th. Ends up being May 14th, 1948 was the exact day that the modern state of Israel was birthed. Mm-hmm. where they announced it and declared their sovereignty, like we're our own sovereign state. And Harry S. Truman, president of the United States at that time, on that day, um, actually went public and acknowledged them as their own nation, their own modern state of Israel. So right. I don't know. There's just so much. Um, it just makes me stand in awe of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And even with all the COVID stuff, it's like, oh, we're just trying to get a date. And the Lord's like, I got this. Like I'm mm. so in control. Trust me. Everything's <laughs> right on time. It's unfolding exactly as I have it scheduled and planned. And I just, things like that <clears throat> just remind me even of the prophetic promises that are in scripture. Um, everything's going to happen exactly as he says, even when it looks like impossible, it's going to happen. Uh, I yeah. think of the, and I know we could go off on this, but the very fact that there is a modern state of Israel today. Mm. I mean, there was a day where so many of the prophecies about the Messiah's return is like, they happened in Jerusalem and it's all these events surrounding Jerusalem. And it's like, there is no state of Israel for almost 2000 years. Yeah. And it's like, how could those prophecies possibly be fulfilled? That nation doesn't even exist anymore. And then here we are out of seemingly nowhere, it comes again in 1948. And it's like, God's going to do it. Like it, it's going to happen exactly like he said. Um, yeah. So can that's what's stirring me. Day. Say that again. Oh, can a nation be born in a day? Yeah. Yes. I'm always like, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, it, it makes you realize too, how the church fathers, like the first century church thought, like it wasn't, it was so at that point, so normative for Israel 
to be exiled. And so they always would trust, like it would be normal to be like, all right, I shouldn't say normal, but it was like uh, par for the course. They get exiled. Yeah. And then the expectation is they'll be back. Like they're coming back. It's, yes. <laughs> you know, and so for them to stay on course, you know, especially when you study the, the church fathers and how they talked about uh, eschatology, it's like they, they didn't separate it from Israel and Jerusalem. And because they knew they didn't need to, because they knew yeah. no matter what the state of affairs was after 70 AD, like they'll come back. It'll be, it's all yeah. coming back. Yeah. And that's the Mosaic covenant. I mean, that's what in our last episode, yeah. we studied the Mosaic covenant in Deuteronomy 30. That's exactly what God said would happen. He says, ah, when you disobey, I'm going to discipline you, but I'll bring you back. And yeah. yeah, we're just seeing it unfold exactly like the scriptures said it would. Mm-hmm. So. so good. Um. Okay, so I just we'll do this and then we'll jump into the study. So I want to, um, you know, just say like what we're doing now in season one of this podcast is we're studying the 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 larger biblical storyline that Scripture tells. So we're just looking at key stories from Genesis to Revelation that follow the development of the plot line of the the one major story that the Bible is telling from Genesis to Revelation. And so we have. Um, the, the four parts of the biblical storyline. We do this every week. Um, but the first major part in the plot development is creation, Genesis 1 and 2, where God creates the heavens and the earth, the people, everything that's in the earth. Everything's going great. Uh, and then until Genesis 3, where the next major development in the biblical story happens, the fall. And that's where Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they brought a curse. They embodied a sinful nature they brought a curse upon themselves and all of natural creation. And, um, and that was a crisis. And so the third part of the biblical story begins in that same chapter, which is redemption. And really the God begins to put in place a redemption plan. Um, starting in Genesis three, he kind of announces it. And then uh, it just progressively unfolds throughout the scripture and uh, comes to completion in Revelation 22. And that's the last part of the biblical story is the final restoration, uh, which is Revelation 21 and 22, where God's redemption plan comes to completion and God is living on the earth with his righteous people forever. And there's no more sin, no more curse, no more suffering. Uh, Everything is blessed as he initially intended when he created it. And so, um, yeah, that's just kind of a quick overview of the biblical story. And I, I want to just encourage uh, all of you to um, like, do you have the like subscribe page? Is that there? There it is. There yeah, I want to encourage you guys to please subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel. And I encourage you hit the notification bell too. Uh, so that way, when we go live, you get an alert. And, you know, if you're available, you could jump on and our preference is that you'd be able to watch the live broadcast so you can participate. And we want to just encourage you to put your comments in, um, you know, go ahead and ask questions um, related to anything we're talking about in this broadcast or the chapter of the Bible we're talking about. Ask your questions, um, throw in a comment that you have. Um, and we just feel it makes it a, a, a way more fun uh, episode when you guys are participating. So we love the interaction with you guys. So, um, yeah, please yeah. do that. And then also, if you're interested in learning more about the biblical story line, I want to encourage you to check out my book. Um, and you can put that slide up there. 
Oh, let me find it. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I'm trying to reach it. I can't reach it on my screen. There it is. Um, want to encourage you to check out my book. So I, I, this is, um, it's called Paradise, God's Eternal Plan for People in the Earth. And basically, it's just an overview of the biblical story um, and God's eternal plans, obviously, for people in the earth, like the subtitle says. But want to encourage you, it has study questions at the end of every chapter. Go through it um, on your own and just study these things out uh, in the scriptures. Go through it with a group. Um, it's a good resource to just kind of give you an introductory understanding to these these ideas so uh any yeah say any introductory stuff i need to cover i think i got it i just wanted to say when you were talking about people commenting i i really want to like hit that point more is you know we get people that watch and i just want to annihilate any any fear around commenting that like somehow maybe we're going to squash or correct we don't have a policy in place, but I think we all agree between me and Jeff, like we don't, we have like a no squashing policy. Like we're not going to nail anybody or tell you how wrong you are. We would treat it like a discussion. So if you ask a question or you have a comment, we're going to treat it like a discussion and, and give everybody the honor and the dignity that they deserve. So we really want you to feel free to make comments, whether you feel like it's right, wrong, it's a question in ignorance, it's, an, it's a question that will enlighten something. We really want to push um, commenting on the videos. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, dude. That's good. Uh, like, um, you know, I know I said at the beginning when you asked how, how did I like get into eschatology and I mentioned Ray, like Tuesday nights at their table, it's literally just like, let's just talk, let's ask questions. And the questions bring answers and insight through digging into the word together and it provokes our hearts. And it's the thing that has been a catalyst for like passion for the word and passion for Jesus. But I wouldn't have gotten to this place if I didn't ask questions. I remember like the early days asking Ray like the most ridiculous questions in my mind, but he just answered them, you know, yeah. and then unfolded the storyline for me and put a love for it in my heart. But I'm grateful for the questions. So mm. yeah. yeah. So good. I totally agree. Um, yeah. So we're going to, I'll just, we're going to read second Samuel chapter seven. And before we do, I just want to just kind of uh, do a quick review of the biblical storyline that we've covered so far. And uh, just to kind of catch us up and set this in context. So if you remember, like I shared just a little bit ago, there's four parts of the biblical storyline and we're this um, <clears throat> and the redemption part of the biblical storyline actually takes up the majority of the biblical narrative. Yeah. And so the um, God's redemption plan, it's progressively installed uh, throughout the Bible through a series of strategic covenants. Um, and these four covenants form the, the infrastructure through which God's master plan to restore all things um, is put into effect. So in phase one of God's redemption plan, he makes a covenant with Abraham, which we covered. Um, and this covenant with Abraham, it's the first redempt of the redemptive covenants that really acts as the foundation that the next three redemptive covenants are built upon. Um, so God formed a covenant relationship with Abraham, he through which he would ultimately redeem all the nations. And we learned that God will use Abraham's descendants, which we know of as Israel, uh, to bless all nations and that his descendants would live in the land of Canaan forever. So that's the Abrahamic covenant. 
Then phase two of God's redemption plan is the Mosaic covenant, which we talked about in the previous episode. And we learned that Israel would need to obey God's commands to continue living in the land that God promised to them. And um, then he moves into phase three is what we're going to talk about today. So phase three of his redemption plan is the covenant with David as told in second Samuel chapter seven. And at this point in the biblical story, Israel has become one of the greatest nations on earth, just like God had promised Abraham that it, that they would be. And one of Abraham's descendants, King David was ruling as Israel's King at the time. And here in second Samuel seven, God makes an eternal promise to King David that his dynasty would continue forever. In other words, one of his descendants, David's descendants would sit on his throne in the city of Jerusalem and rule as the king over the nation of Israel forever. And then ultimately, um, he would actually, as the king of Israel in Jerusalem, he would ultimately rule over all the nations and the kings of the earth from that place and bring restoration um, to all the nations. So that's an overview. So let's jump into it and start reading. Uh, Pull it up here. So when King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant, David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people, Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, that I w- and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. And I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me thus this far? 
And now, Sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty? Do you deal with everyone this way, O Sovereign Lord? What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, Sovereign Lord. Because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant. How great you are, O Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. And your name will be on, and may your name be honored forever so that everyone will say the Lord of heaven's armies is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I have been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servant saying, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O sovereign Lord. Your words are truth, and you have promised these good things to your servant. And now may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, O sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. Mm, powerful. That's such a beautiful interaction between God and David. I, yeah. Oh my goodness. It moves me. It stirs me. Uh, what are some of the stuff you guys like from that story? I, I would say just beforehand, how important it is. You already had kind of discussed the covenants and their importance, but it's, it's, I think it's so interesting how the covenants filter down into a, a finer, finer and finer promises, right? You get the, the Noahic covenant, you know, I will not destroy the earth. So you got the whole earth, right? And you get the Mosaic covenant, like, or you get the Abrahamic covenant, like I'm going to establish um, a people, you know? So you, now you have a people, then you get the Mosaic covenant where it's like, I'm going to establish the people in a land. And then you get the Davidic covenant where it's like, I'm going to establish a king over the people in that land on the earth. That's never going to be destroyed again by a flood. Yeah. Um, so the filter just gets finer and finer and finer and it points to something, right? It's pointing to redemption, but it's ultimately pointing, pointing uh, to Jesus. And so I, I just want to point that out. And really, if you go back to the, it's called the Adamic covenant or Adam's covenant, it, it, even that, um, that seed connects the seed from that covenant of, you know, you'll have one born, a seed born to you. Um, when he's talking to Eve, you know, that connects the Davidic and the Edemic covenant. And so the, the covenants are all intimately um, connected. I think it's so important to see how they work together and that they don't, they're not canceling each other out. They're stair-stepping each other into, um, into uh, a, the fuller or the, the, the uh, a harmonized revelation, I guess you could say. So good. Um, Michael Miller says that the covenants in each covenant, you can find God making covenant with his own self so that there's like a triune covenant in each covenant. So the Lord um, 
sorry, was I muted? Yeah, you're unmuted again. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. yeah, he said, Michael Miller says that in each covenant, the Lord makes a covenant with himself. So there's like a triune aspect of each covenant. So he's promising something to man, but he's also saying, he swears by his name, like in each place of the covenant. It's like, I will do this. And I mean, to, when he's talking about Solomon, he's like, um, uh, I'd have to find it. But yeah, he's basically saying, like, by my name, it'll be done like because it's what I want to do and so he's like as he promises man he's like also promising himself so good yeah absolutely true you know I, I think too um you know just not only you know Ray you were mentioning how with each covenant it's like a filter you know it kind of filters down I would say another way to say that same thing it's like a picture that gets clearer and clearer with with each new covenant, you know, I think of an artist and he starts with this blank canvas and it's like, we're all guessing when God gets done and he restores all things, what's it going to look like? Hmm. And, you know, we don't really know. He has the picture in his mind, but then he kind of does the Abrahamic covenant and you see like some of the picture drawn. You're like, okay. And then the Mosaic covenant and then the Davidic covenant. It's like, oh, it's starting to get really clear now. It's going to be one of David's descendants. He's going to be in Jerusalem on a throne, ruling Israel forever. And you're starting to just get this picture that with every covenant, it's like another layer gets laid on the picture and it becomes clearer and clearer and we can see it and we can visualize it. And, um, and even some of the, that's what the prophets really did. And we're going to start in the coming broadcast. We're going to look at these different prophecies and, um, Isaiah 11 and Micah chapter four and just other places where they're describing the messianic kingdom. And they just, they, they paint a whole bunch of details in full color uh, in those passages. So I, I, it's, you go through these as the story unfolds and you can see clearer, like, Oh my goodness, I'm getting it. Like I'm seeing what it's going to look like. And when I can see the picture, I can visualize myself in it. And I can visualize, okay, like that's the conditions I'm going to be living in forever in the kingdom of God. And so um, it becomes clearer. And then when you can see it, it becomes exciting. Um, because when you see it, faith arises when in your heart and you're like, oh, and then anticipation grows and you're like, Maranatha Christ starts rising yeah. up in your heart. Even so, come quickly, son of David, Jesus, and, and rule the nations. Yeah, it's good because it drives the purpose of your life, right? It's like it, the narrative actually, it gives you a framework to, to hang the purpose of your life on. And so you don't have to have, um, I mean, it's so important even in discipleship, like to disciple people into the, the biblical narrative. We're not, we don't like, I think that that almost should be first. I think we try really hard to get people emotionally uh, discipled, which is important. Um, but I think when you know the story, you know, you know how to hang your anxiety, you know how to hang your, uh, you know how to hang bad days, you know mm -hmm. how to hang good days, you know what to hang them on, right? Because you know, you understand the narrative and you understand where it's going, where if the gospel, if the point of the gospel is just to emotionally overcome, and that's the primary goal is to like live a free life, which I want that, no doubt, I'm not downplaying that at all, but I don't understand the narrative then like when I don't have a good day or I have a day full of anxiety uh, or a day where I'm experiencing uh, low level depression or botheredness or irritation or whatever, it, it, it really, it just makes me feel like I'm, I must be failing at this thing. Right. Mm -hmm. 
But I think the biblical narrative gives us a place like, no, you're going to have days of the, you're going to have groaning days. You're going to have days where you do feel sad. You're going to have days where you feel like a human being, you know, that's, it's normal, but understanding yeah. these covenants and understanding the redempt, the redemptive story, it's like, ah, this is the groan. Like I Romans chapter eight, like I don't want to always be in this body, but I know there's a future promise that's going to release me from it. And I'm going to, walk in glory with him. So I think that's so helpful with the, with the covenants because sometimes uh, it can seem like, it can seem like um, the covenants are just like a, just a structure, you know, biblical structure and they're just in there and, you know, it's good to know those, <laughs> but there's a, there's a practical, there's a practical purpose and function to them that really help us understand the story that we're, um, that we're living in. Wow. I think to what you were saying, Ray, like... You got anything you want to add, Natasha? Oh, yeah. I was just saying, I think... Can you guys hear me okay? Yep. Okay. I think to what you were like, um, he wrote the Psalms, right, which are just all over the place, and they're glorious, and they're detrimental, and they're despairing, and they're victorious, and they're all these, you know, heightened emotions, but... Um, this is the one who God said, like, through you, I will establish my throne forever, you know? And I think that we know that David was like a foreshadowing of Jesus to come. But when Jesus, again, just to what you were saying, took on our humanity, it always, it's so profound to me that when he ascended back into heaven, after everything, he didn't leave humanity here. He actually took humanity to the right hand of God. So he's like, I didn't just come as a human. I'm committed eternally to the human state. And yeah, he's resurrected, but he, he, he held on to it, you know? And yeah. I think it's such a powerful testimony, the ultimate plan of redemption for humanity that Jesus chose not to forsake it when he had already fulfilled everything that needed to be fulfilled in a human form. That's good. Amen. We're going to look at two later on. Hopefully we'll get to it at the end. There's a scripture in Acts where you know, he, he quotes David in the Psalms prophesying about the resurrection of Messiah, mm -hmm. um, which is really good. It ties into your comment. It's so good. Um, I, so one of the things I um, really love about this whole story is the, the interaction. You could, I, I just love getting this like sneak peek into the way that God and David are interacting with one another. And I, it starts out where David's the king and he knows who he is. He's like, I'm a nobody. Like I come from a nobody family from a nobody city. Um, God just plucked me and he chose me and then he's blessed me. And here I am. And I got this gorgeous palace now that I'm living in. He's like, and I know it's because of God. And then he looks out and he sees the ark of God in a tent. And I just love the way David's mind works. The heart of worship that he has. He's like, no, he's like, I want to honor the Lord. You know, it's not right yeah. that I have a more glorious place. He should have a glory, a way more glorious place than me. He's the most important person in all of Israel. And so that's in his heart. And Nathan, the prophet, you know, recognizes that David's heart of worship is that David's mind is in a good place uh, when this is happening, you know. And so Nathan's like, oh, dude, I like where you're going with this. Like your heart is. You're, you're just wanting to honor God and put him first. He's like, dude, whatever you're just do it. I mean, if it's coming from that heart motive, it's going to be good. It's going to be blessed. Yeah. Just do whatever's in your mind. And then God speaks to David. I mean, to Nathan, he's like, actually, uh, 
I didn't really ask for that. Um, but I love that David's heart. <laughs> He's like, I love though that that was in David's heart. I mean, I love the worship and I, and so he's like, David, you're wanting to build my house and honor me. He's like, you know what? I'm going to build yours and I'm going to honor you. And then he makes this crazy extravagant promise. And then how David to David, like, yeah, you know, um, for all of eternity, one of your descendants will sit on your throne. And that's a just crazy promise that only God could fulfill. And then David, I love the humility of his response um, when he says, and I just want to read a couple of these lines. I love this. Who am I? I mean, he's just overcome with gratitude and awe. Yeah. Who am I? That, And what is my family that you brought me this far? It's like, I shouldn't even be king like, and be blessed. And you always give me victory over my enemies. And I have this favor with people and I have this riches. It's like, who am I? And then he says, and as if there weren't enough, now you promised me an everlasting dynasty. And I love this statement when David goes, um, do you treat everybody like that? He's like, are you this extravagantly generous to everybody? I mean, he's just mind is blown right here with the goodness of God toward him. And I just, um, I love that interaction of intimacy. And it just provokes me when I read this story, like, God, I want to relate to you in this way. I want to see you as the extravagantly generous God while being poor in spirit. Who am I? But yet I have favor with you and you delight in me. And um, I want to believe God for the promises that he speaks. But I, I don't know, this just provokes me to intimacy. I want deeper intimacy yeah. with the Lord when I read this. It's good. I think too, uh, it's like David had, David understood the Sermon on the Mount principles in his life. Like he understood the benefit of being selfless, of giving others preference, of not forcing his way, of not taking what he thought was rightfully his. Um, and so he Good. lives in this really selfless way. I mean, the story yes. is so gripping because David has failures in his life, no doubt. Um, even before he was king, after he was king, uh, for sure. So you can see them. So he's like us in his plight. But then he also has this um, desire to just always do what is pleasing to the Lord. And it creates this story where it's incredible levels of selflessness and self-sacrifice, going low, receiving less, not pushing for his way. Um, And so it's so awesome. Like when you watch the testimony against Saul and Saul was literally, he was the opposite, pushing for his way, protecting what was his, being defensive, you know, all of these things. And so you see the difference in the fruit and how that plays out in two different people's life in the story. If you just read the story of David, it is so like, there's so much, there's double crossing, there's hiding in caves, there's going and being with the Gentiles, then there's going and destroying the Gentiles for for Saul uh, or going, uh, defeating them in battle. I mean, uh, for Saul and then still like Saul wanting to, Uh, kill David. And so it's like the level of selflessness that gets him to this point where now it's like, this is why I'm establishing this covenant with you. It's because your heart aims to please me, even when you're going to be done wrong. Right. And, and that's a hard place to get in our flesh. That's actually not even possible without the Holy spirit. No way, not happening. You know what I mean? And so um, that's what I love about David is I want to identify with him in that way. Yeah. I got struggles. I have failures in my life, but 
I can allow even the Lord's um, will for my life to be delayed so that my enemies can see his goodness. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like, and I shouldn't even say my enemies. I should say people that irritate me. Right. Yeah. I can, I can take a step back so they can take a step forward because he works it out every single time. The moment I start taking control, like Saul did, right. It's like, I messed the whole thing up. I, every time I mess the whole thing up, same yeah. thing in my marriage. It's like, as soon as I start trying to take control with my wife, I mess the whole thing up. But it's like, man, the Lord breaks in on the promises. As soon as we say, I don't need to control any of it. I just want to do your will. I want to carry a humble heart. I want to be selfless. I want to give preference to other people. And I'm going to do that all the days of my life, not just for a season. I'm not going to just do it as like, oh, I'll, I'll be selfless for this season so that it works out for my good. The Lord's like, sign up for that. Yeah. I will make you, I will give you 10 cities in the next life if you could sign up for that and have that be your vision, you know? And so Dude. David is such an inspiration to me. I'm not like David. I do defend myself. I do fight for my way sometimes, but I learned my lesson. You can learn your lessons through David, even his own cousin, like his own cousin doesn't have that spirit of humility. I forget his name, but he's in the story and he mm. keeps stirring up problems for David well, David's yeah. trying to go low and be humble. And he's like, no, we got to, we got to do, you know, we got to do this. So it's yes. so stinking good. It's so good. It's to see how life plays out through, through David and through Saul and through the prophet uh, Samuel. And so I really recommend anybody who's going through this chapter with us, go back and read first Samuel and just yeah. watch the story and watch how David responds. Every one of us are capable of responding that way. And not only responding that way, but bearing the fruit that comes with it so powerful. Wow. I just think of two verses pop into my mind from the New Testament that talk about what you just said. Um, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, yes. and all these things will be added unto you. And then blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That, yes. That's literally happening in this story with David. I mean, he's just going meek. He's seeking to honor the Lord. And the Lord's like, I'm going to increase your authority. Um, yeah. and the authority of your dynasty, um, literally will rule the nations, <laughs> you know, uh, just blows my mind. Yeah. You don't have to be perfect to get the blessing, but you have to have your heart postured, right? Your heart has to be postured, right? Yes. And I think it's a statement that, um, I think there's such a statement here, even in the, the context that this promise comes forth in is a, a statement from the Lord. It's like, this is the heart I'm looking for. This is what I love. I'm going to build the, my kingdom on the earth is going to be built on this kind of heart of worship and interaction that David has that I delight in. And man after my own heart who always does what pleases me, he's like, this is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's like, this is what I'm building my kingdom on. Yeah. Amen. Natasha, do you have some thoughts? I know you got thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I think David received the promise that he would be king and, you know, he was anointed and all of that was before there was any fruition. And I think it's that confidence in the Lord and trusting in like trusting that God is who he says he is and does what he says he'll do that allowed David to serve Saul in the way that you're talking about. Like he wasn't worried about what Saul was or wasn't doing, or, I mean, he was, but he wasn't like trying to control it. Right. He wasn't trying right. to affect change on his own or produce some specific outcome. He was just like, okay, 
I'm here. I'll literally die for Saul, <laughs> but there's a promise on my life. I'm going to be king of Israel. And he didn't tell Saul that he wasn't flaunting. He was just like lowly, you know, and I think that that was the contrite heart the Lord was looking for. Come on. The other thing that came to mind was actually in the New Testament as well. Um, the woman with the issue of blood, it, she references David. She reaches out to Jesus and she says, son of David, have mercy on me. Wow. And she's saying to him, like, remember what David did for the Gentiles? Like, remember how he reached out and he helped and how he met us. He met your ancestors, met my ancestors so you can reach out and heal me. And she with those words, like she provoked Jesus and reminded, I believe, you know, that's how I perceive it, reminded him of like, hey, you're of the lineage of David and he had mercy on my people. So will you heal me? You know? Wow. I have never made that connection with that story before. Ray. That is awesome. <laughs> Bible oh. study two months ago already. <laughs> oh my goodness. Come on. It's so good. It changes everything. I think it carries the... The, that like revelatory reading of scripture that's available to all of us, it carries the weight of the covenants into the New Testament, into the life of Jesus. And then it makes them applicable to our lives, especially as Gentiles. Like, yeah. And so will you, Lord? Wow. That's powerful. I have a, I can't, I don't know why I can't hear Natasha on my phone. So I'm turning her on on my computer, turning off my phone. And so. Gotcha. Oh, you can hear me. I hope I'm not like messing something up on my end, but. No, no, you're doing great. I, I think his, his internet just froze up on us too. So. Yeah. Oh, there he is. He's back. I'm back. <clears throat> All right. So we can keep talking about what you like about this passage, um, but I'll just go into the second question. Do you have any questions about this passage? And I'll just start us off, actually, because we have one from Lydia. Thank you so much, Lydia, for asking your question. Um, so let's uh, read it and we'll give our best shot, see if we can give a decent answer. She said, the word house keeps jumping out at me. So I'm, I'm assuming in that she's talking about when God's he's wanting to build a house for God. And then God said, well, I'm going to build a house for you. Um, so what is the importance of the physical church building? Is that just a Western thing? We've made a necessity. I have no strong opinions. I'm just curious. Okay. I awesome. I appreciate that question. So I think when he's talking about house in the context of this passage, I'm at when David's saying, I want to build a house for the Lord. Um, I think he's talking about the temple. I mean, a physical place of worship where the Ark of the Covenant would rest as in Solomon later built it, Solomon's temple. So I think he's speaking of the temple, which is a place of worship. Um, and where people come to meet with God. And then when God says to David, I'm going to build, he talks about building David's house. He's referring to David's family. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm actually going to bless your household, your family line. And uh, you're going to, I'm going to give you a dynasty where one of your descendants uh, is going to be ruling as the King of Israel forever. So I think the word house in this chapter is, um, you know, uh, that's what he's talking about. Now, when you're in the New Testament, you can always look and see, uh, you know, obviously it talks about the body of Christ being the temple of God and God mm -hmm. dwells in us by his spirit, um, mm -hmm. not only in, as individuals in the body of Christ, but corporately 
uh, that we are being built together into a house. I think it's Ephesians chapter two talks about that. So you can kind of track that and study it out. Um, uh, I'm just, uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on that? I'll, I'll let Natasha go first. Oh boy. <laughs> um, no, I really don't have strong opinion. I, always, my heart burns for 24 hour prayer and worship. And so it like translated today, I always just by passion and my own life, whatever, you know, like my passions, I always hear house and like resting place when I read this, like where David says, like, I will not sleep or slumber until the spirit of the Lord has found a place to rest. And he's so passionate. I just think of that. Um, my mind always just goes to like us being a people who are, who are exactly that, the temple where the spirit of the Lord can rest. And that it's like, I don't think David was actually saying like, I'll physically stay awake until the temple is built or whatever. I think he was saying like, my life will be about one thing and it's going to be that the spirit of the Lord can rest here. And I think it's a commission of sorts to us to have lives that are, Hey, my life will be one thing that like, I won't do anything else of importance over this one thing being of importance that the spirit of the Lord can rest on me. That's so good. Yeah. I, I would just say that the, the practical side of this question that she's asking about the Western church and it, it, have we just made it uh, a necessity? I think the building, the building is the point is to unite and celebrate. Right. And so you see that in the new Testament, they, in synagogue, they would go to synagogue. So they call it synagogue. We call it church. Uh, but the, the point is, is to be together um, and, and just celebrate what the Lord is doing with like-minded people, um, it, you know, with one heart and one mind. And so um, I think what, the, what you're digging at maybe a little bit is when the building um, and all the things that come with it create unnecessary, unnecessary mechanisms that we end up spinning our wheels um, and, and the primary thing is we want to make disciples and we want to do evangelism, but we're so busy making plans that we're busier making our plans than actually doing the plan. Um, and so I would say in that way, the Western church, we, we get really busy, but I wouldn't blame it on the building. Uh, I would just say, and we all have to evaluate our own hearts and each church has to evaluate its own heart. It's not for me to do or for anybody else to do, but do I have unnecessary, un unnecessary mechanisms that are created because we have a building and we've got to maintain and we've got to do things uh, at the root and at the core of what we do, are we making disciples? And I would say then, yeah, a building is important because it brings us together to unite under that plan. And so um, I don't think it's just a Western, a, a Western thing. I think, I think it's a family thing. We just have to make sure that we're, that we have the, the same motive while we're there. We want to make disciples and we want to evangelize. That makes sense. Good. Yeah, that's good. And I would just, um, you know, just to tie it in that, cause I, I like even what you were saying, Natasha, I think it's Psalm 132 that you were referencing when David makes a vow to the Lord. He says, I will give myself no rest until you know, a, a resting place is, is built for the God of Israel and that kind of thing. And he's thinking of a temple where God's presence dwells and they're hosting the presence of God. But I think the longing that was in David's heart that's expressed in Psalm 132, that is, that is the Maranatha heart cry. It's the longing for God to dwell among us. Uh, and 
in his power and in his glory. And that is, um, and of course, his mind at that time, he's thinking, I want to build a temple for God. But ultimately, I think God creates a people, even in the new covenant, who he says, they're my temple. I, I dwell among them by my spirit. But here's the crazy thing. In Revelation 21 and 22, we really have the ultimate fulfillment of God's desire to dwell among people. And um, where the new Jerusalem <laughs> descends to the earth and God in the flesh, uh, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, he, we every eye will see him. Like we physically will see him. We will worship him and um, he will he will physically dwell among us. Um, so that whole theme of God dwelling among his people is actually a pretty significant biblical theme. That's fun to track that from Genesis to Revelation, the development of it. So thank you, Lydia, for sharing that question. That's a good question. So I would, uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I would add one more, one more thing is that it, it does, I think, points forward to a picture uh, in eternity. It's uh, Isaiah chapter two, the mountain house of the Lord being established yes. and the nations being drawn to it. And so is the temple in some way a smaller version of what we're going to actually see um, in eternity? where there's actually a, a house established on the mountain of the Lord and the nations yes. are drawn to it and they go to him for instruction and wisdom. Um, and so there, there is definitely more to, I think, the story than even what we're seeing or have seen in the Old and in the New Testament. Yep. Um, so I would, I would encourage read, read, uh, read Isaiah chapter 2. Yep, I agree. That's really good. I'm glad you brought that up. That's true. One you other, guys have go ahead, Natasha. I was just gonna say to Psalm one thirty two. I looked at and it is um, it is Psalm one thirty two, and the back part of it, starting in like verse eight, it, it very much is about, I believe, about the day of the Lord, partially about Solomon, but also he talks about forever. It's like, um, arise, O Lord, and go. David talking, arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. You and the ark of your might, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your ser servant, David, do not turn away your face from your anointed one. And the Lord swore a sure oath to David, saying, one of the sons of your body I will set on the throne. If your mm -hmm. son keeps my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on my throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it to be his dwelling place. This is my resting place, declares the Lord. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it, and I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread, her priests I will clothe with suffering. Saints will shout for joy, and then I will make a horn to I will make a horn to sprout for David. For I have prepared my lamp for the anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on his head will shine a crown. And it reminds me wow. of um uh Zechariah, where I think it's like Zechariah four, maybe, where it says those who, um, paraphrase, those who like the righteous will shine like crowns forever, like jewels in a crown forever, and then also in Daniel, where it's prophesied about um the increase of his government, and the the increase of his government of peace, knowing no end, mm -hmm. but um, a big part of it was like Isaiah sixty one, where he's talking about. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know, we quoted all yes. this again, I think in Luke. Um, but he's like, I will give those who mourn in Zion a headdress of beauty in exchange for ashes, the garment of praise for a faint spirit. And mm. that Psalm 132 just reminds me so much of the same. It's like the same language that he's he's saying in Isaiah 61. Wow. 
Yeah. And I think I, I love that you, I didn't even think of it before the broadcast, but Psalm 132 is perfectly applicable to this chapter. I'm so glad that you brought it up, Natasha. Like first, I'm just like, all right, Lord, let's do it. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the deal. I, I think David was getting revelation from the spirit. Like David had this desire, his heart of worship was like longing to be near God, to be close to God, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his temple day and night, Psalm 27, uh, verse four. And But then he gets this revelation, I think, from the spirit where he's like, actually, it's not just my desire. This is God's desire. God wants to dwell with us. And God wants to live on the earth with his people forever in Jerusalem, and I think David is picking up on uh, these, these, the desire of the Lord's heart, but also the plans, God's ultimate plan. I think David's picking up on it, and um, you know, and Ray, you you alluded to it as well. The, the uh, Isaiah two, Micah four thing, where uh, you know the house of the Lord on Mount Zion and the nations are streaming to it and the Lord's teaching is going out from there, et cetera. We're going to look at that in, in a couple of broadcasts from now, that passage. But um, yeah, this is in the Lord's heart all along. And I think David is picking up on that. And that's even why he's like, man, I want to build something for God. And I just think there's the context that this covenant comes forth in of that heart of worship that he has and the longing of God to be one with his people um, and to dwell among us, it, it's it's so strategic. Yeah, we're just talking about different questions. Here's one of the questions that I've had before about this chapter. And I was trying to read it objectively. And one of my questions was like, okay, is God talking about Solomon here? Or is God talking about Jesus? Um, and, I, and I think it's both. He's referencing both um, here. Can you hear us now, I can Natasha? Hear. Can you hear Yes. <clears throat> Glory to God. So I also and, hear her on the phone now. So that's good. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so I think in verse 12, um, you know, well, 11, God says, I'm going to, I'm going to get, he's going to give you a dynasty of Kings, David. And then he says, when you died and you're buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. I think he's talking about Solomon. On that verse, because right after that, he says, he is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, which Solomon did. Of course, Jesus is going to blow that one away when he returns. The yeah. one. <laughs> but anyway, but he's and then he says, um, and but then it says, and I will secure his throne forever. Uh, that's not just Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a Solomon because Solomon died. Right. And he had other sons that took over. Uh, the throne and there were a loss of descendants of David that ruled as yeah. king from Jerusalem. Um, and then of course later, and then it says, I'll be his father. He will be my son. If he sins, he's not talking about Jesus there. He says, I, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. And I mean, he's talking about, um, he's talking about um, Solomon and even I think probably other descendants of David that came as well as God disciplined them yeah. when they would sin and disobey God. But of course, Jesus never disobeyed <laughs> yeah. God. So, um, but then ultimately I think when it uses like your house will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. I, I mean, I, I, Chris, we know as, as well as the, um, when you read other passages, so I'll read a few of them 
a little later in this broadcast, uh, not only in the New Testament, but also in the, the prophets um, in, the old, in the Old Testament, they reference this covenant and they, they clearly say that it's referring to the Messiah. And, uh, and so we'll look at some of those passages later. So they interpreted it, all the, the prophets did. And then, of course, uh, the apostles in the New Testament interpreted this as referring to ultimately the Messiah, who would be a descendant of David, would rule. And the Messiah would his rule would be from everlasting. To, it, it would go on and on and on and it would never end. So was that clear? Yeah, it's um, to me. Go ahead, Natasha. Are you sure? Yep. OK, um, I love in verse uh, it's chapter 7, verse um, 12. When your days are, f- are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers, and I will raise an offspring up after you. And then if you flip over to 1 Kings 2.10, it's the death of David. And it says, And David was laid to rest in the land of his fathers, buried in the city, of, laid to rest with his fathers, buried in the land of the city of David. And I just think it's perfect language. Like, they're laying it out that, you know, it's like, when you die and you're buried in the land of your fathers and then that detail is included at his death and then obviously right after Solomon's reign is established but just it's like the initiation of like hey remember this language it was it's familiar you know mm-hmm. and it means something something's coming after he's laid in the land of his father so it's like mm-hmm. that one of those things in scripture that you can like watch out for like okay I've read this I've heard this so something comes after this what is it and I just like it because <clears throat> ties it all together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's this, the reason this, when we take the time to study this chapter in the biblical storyline is because once you understand this promise, as you keep reading the story in the Bible, um, they refer back to this over and over and over and over again, this covenant that God made with David and all the, I mean, if you don't understand what's happening here, sometimes you're not going to get all the references, but Later on, as you continue the story, you're going to be like, oh, I know what they're talking about here. They're talking about when yeah. God promised David. So that's why it's important to take time to get this. For sure. So what do you guys learn? Oh, go ahead. I was Ray. just going to say that this is what makes sometimes reading even like the covenants, not not so much the covenants, but like the prophetic uh, scriptures, sometimes a little bit conf- confusing is like, it's like mixing together. Like if you ever taken like a sand thing, and you pour mm-hmm. sand in it and you have like different colors and they're like mixing together, but it's like wavy and they're interlocked. It's like, you're, you're getting like a near and far uh, kind of uh, the, pro- the prophetic word has a near and far fulfillment, you know? And so he's definitely talking about Solomon, but then when he links the word forever, you have to sit there and think to yourself, well, wait a minute. Like even Solomon kind of was not great at the, in the, in his last days. And mm-hmm. then, Later, you're going to have the Babylonian exile. So how can you use the word forever if it's not literally forever? And so you have to then thrust it forward into Jesus at that point. But we know that now some, I think some would read where it says that he'll uh, discipline him with a rod. They would say maybe that was the cross. I don't think that like that's not I think he's specifically talking about Solomon Mm -hmm. there. Um, but I, I think it's really important that when we, we read these scriptures, we have to hold it. Okay. If I, if I was just reading that forever thing, I would think it's talking about Solomon and I didn't have any more scripture to go off of. It's talking about Solomon and it's talking about a promise to him forever and that his step, his throne will always be established and there won't be an exile. Nothing like that will happen. But you, 
you know, luckily we have the rest of scripture to go off of and harmonize with. And so then we can go back and say, oh, I see what he's saying now. Like forever, mm-hmm. this this comes in the fulfillment uh, uh, or comes with Jesus or in the Messiah. Yes. Um, so it's the same thing when you're reading prophetic scriptures. You seem you feel like you're reading something and it's like, OK, this is definitely for them. This is definitely for them. Ooh, that's weird. This one little word or this one little sentence doesn't seem like it fits. Um, their current situation, and so, and it's it's hard because you can't you can't even become excellent at interpreting it. You almost have to live in the suspension of it and be okay with it. It takes faith to like read it and believe it um, in the way I think the authors and the spirit were intending. And you know, That's again, all. this is there's a principle that's good. Uh, there's this a principle or scripture interpret scripture. And yes. it's so important, you know, and as you, you know, if, if, if the story ended at chapter seven, the biblical story, you're just like, okay, well, David's dynasty is going to continue forever. What's that going to look like? And, um, but as the story, it didn't end there. And, you know, when you read the rest of the story, you know, all the, 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 uh, the old Testament prophets, the new Testament apostles, even Jesus himself, um, refers back to this covenant and, clearly ties it to the messiah's reign uh who is a son of david and he will reign forever and ever and ever and so anyway that's why it's it's important um you know we don't just come up with our own guesses right what what did the the prophets and the apostles under the inspiration of the holy spirit when they were writing scripture how did they interpret that and it you know there's tons of passages that say it was the messiah and, and, and it, well, and the temptation becomes, and not to open up a huge can of worms, I don't want to go f- too far down this road, but like, if you can't, if you have a hard time reconciling it in your mind, even with the prophets, the, the temptation is to spiritualize it as a, as a spiritual reality. Oh, he must've been like telling David about a spiritual reality that still existed even when, after, after the throne was lost. And so I don't think that that would be, that would honor or or represent scripture very well. Um, but then you do, you have that, especially more from maybe uh, like a, a liberal scholars would take it that direction. And so that's why sometimes we have that kind of confusion in the body of Christ because we have two different readings of it. So there's a literal, mm-hmm. like, hey, we literally believe this throne for real, Jesus is going to sit on it and it's going to be forever in Jerusalem, forever, physically. And then you have others who say, no, we're, we're seated in heavenly places now. That was a spiritual reality. Uh, that 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 David was receiving a revelation of, and David might not have known it at his time, but through the progressive revelation of Scripture, you end up with, oh, we're seated in heavenly places, and that's the fulfillment of the throne that is established forever. So you can see how you end up with that problem uh, where people are like, no, I, lo- I look at the covenants this way. No, I look at the covenants this way. And, and you can come up with two totally different uh, endpoints, <laughs> right? Right. And so, again, I'm not trying to open up a huge huge can of worms, but I'm trying to say, like, there there is a line of thinking that that goes that direction in the body of Christ. Thoughts? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's good. I I kind of have all these thoughts going. I'm like, I could carry that on, that conversation, that direction. (laughs) I have all these thoughts on on that. Um, But you want to keep going. Okay. Yeah. No, it's... Yeah. Um... I, w- I would just say this, you know, like one of the, um, I think 
it's so important to understand the biblical storyline as it unfolds. And I think one of the reasons, like in the past, I remember I'd read these end times prophecies in the Bible and they would just be cryptic to me. They would be, um, you know, okay, I think I know what this part means. I don't know what in the world that reverse before it is talking about. Um, and it's, it just feels like this cryptic guessing game and everything. But I think one of the reasons that they were so confusing to me was because I actually did not understand the biblical storyline. Yeah. Um, I just kind of, my theology started with Matthew one pretty much. Um, mm. and, uh, I was like, Oh, Jesus. Right. And of course, uh, it all points to him, but there's a story that was unfolding. I didn't yeah. get the Abrahamic covenant. I didn't get the Mosaic covenant. I didn't understand the Davidic covenant. And so all the things in these old Testament prophecies, uh, I'm not, well, I'm sorry. Uh, end times prophecies in the Bible that refer back to these covenants because God's like, I'm not starting a new story. The end times isn't a separate thing right. that God's doing. It's the completion of the story. He's already been writing for thousands of years and I hadn't read the first, you know, two thirds of the book, so to mm -hmm. speak, and understood it. So I'm coming into these end of the story prophecies and I'm like, gosh, I don't understand what this is talking about. But when you take the time to start at the beginning of the book, work your way through it, and then you read the end times prophecies. And it's like, oh, yeah, I know what that's talking about now. He's talking about that covenant with David. And then it just makes sense. And it's like, OK, yeah, I can picture this now. I get yeah. where this is going. And that's why we're taking the time to do that in season one here. Yeah, the covenants are, are absolutely the, the foundation. They are the key to everything. And so um, that's why, I, you know, I tell people I don't I'm not looking to interpret my end time theology through like timing statements. I'm not looking to interpret my end time theology through uh, geopolitical or news, news, headline news headlines. Um, I, our eschatology has to be interpreted through the clear promises of God that are eternal. Um, you know, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, those things. Okay. When you, it says the word forever, that has to be my foundation and everything else has to, has to serve those purposes or yeah. those promises. And if, if you stand there, then the Bible, the, and I, you were using the word understand. I would just say, even just know that the information is there, right? I don't know that I understand it, but there's definitely, Hey, I know this is here. There's more to get from it, more to glean from it. And just knowing that it's there really helps ground the whole thing and take it out of, um, you know, space cadet world where it's just like open to whatever interpretation we want. You got to ground it all in the covenants. And if you do that, it, it actually just makes the Bible make way more sense and applicable. Mm. So good. Natasha, did you have anything that was on your heart you wanted to say about that? Yes. Um, sorry. I live right in the middle of the city. The traffic, it's a little loud. So I was muting it, but, um, the, the thing I think of, and it, it may be intense, so rein me back in if it is, but I think that if we look at the covenant, any covenant that God made in the Old Testament, and we say that he didn't mean it exactly how he said it, that he would then have permission to forsake the covenant he made with us in Christ. That if he's yeah. not fill the covenant he made with David, why are we any more deserving of the covenant he made with us in Jesus? Boom. Yeah. Hold on, mic drop. <laughs> that's exactly it <laughs> yeah no we yeah, have to well, trust him we have to trust him yeah you know? yes such a good point i i would say this just makes this is the second time this come to my mind too so i just want to say this because it fits here 
I think sometimes I hear, um, you know, uh, people, they'll talk about the, um, the, you know, and they do a good job. And, and I think this is good. And I think there's a, a, some good teaching on this in the body of Christ where they're talking about like, hey, what are the promises that God has spoken to you about your life? or about your calling, your children, your household, whatever it is, and about your business, you know, and you need to like write those promises down and steward them and pray over them and meditate on them and, um, you know, build your faith in those promises. And I think that's actually biblical. I think that's healthy to do that. But but here's what I would take it which a step further, which is even more. I think those I think of those of those type of promises as the little P promises. And all of us have our little P promises that God makes to us, you know, where, you know, hey, you're going to do this in your calling and you're going to whatever, you know, your family for this, your finances, your career, your business, whatever it is. And I think that's good. But the thing that I think is even more important is and and this is why I, I wanted to do this podcast is I'm like, I find so many people there. They're doing a good job stewarding, stewarding their personal little B promises, but they're almost completely unaware of the capital big P promises yeah. that God makes in the Bible that concern the whole earth. And I'm like, hey, that's great. You know what you say about your belief in God to for your business, for this breakthrough, for this platform. But can you like what are the big P promises that God has made? in the Bible. And I think sometimes even about the end times, people are building their theology so many times off a dream or a vision or this prophet prophesied <clears throat> this and said this. And, um, and I, I think those can be helpful, but they can yeah. also be wrong and yeah. unhelpful. Hmm. And, and, and my thing is like, Hey, before I'm just proclaiming, and I have dreams and visions a, a lot of times from the Lord, but, and I love that. I'm thankful for that. But I think I'm like, man, I, I need to understand the big people. I mean, there are some really big, well-known, trustworthy prophets canonized in the Bible, like Isaiah, like yeah. Jesus, like Peter, like Paul, um, like David, who had some massive end times prophecies. And we almost l- neglect those completely and 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 spend all our time listening to. Um, and I, I don't mean this to come across as critical, you know, but. I was going to say YouTube prophets, but you know, we're on YouTube right now, right? Talking right. and uh, <laughs> contemporary. I don't think that's, yeah. yeah. Contemporary type prophets, but, but almost spend no time studying the canonized prophecies that are sure, certain, absolute guaranteed. And I think we need to spend more time studying those and becoming familiar with those, writing them down, meditating on them, praying them. And then it will actually give us a more accurate grid to interpret and discern the little P prophecies hmm. that yeah. come in a so, contemporary context. So then I, th- I was thinking about um, the generational implications of the Davidic covenant, what it would have meant for David. I think about like as a mom, you know, we say all of these cliches about our children, like we want their floor, like our ceiling to be their floor. And it's true though, right? Like so, I my children to go so much further than I go and I want to set a life up for them and 
a history in the Lord that provokes them to want even more for their life. And like that the generations would reap the fruit of my life. But I think about David just as a father, how he must have felt hearing Nathan say like from the Lord, hey, your offspring, your son, your descendants, they'll sit on the throne of Israel forever. And I don't, I don't fully think that David knew that he was talking about a coming one, right? Like maybe he did. I don't know. But I don't think he had, I I don't know. I think in a carnal mind, he probably had like some sort of short-term vision for it. Like, yes, forever. But also like that literally means my son who will will sit on this throne. And so I don't know. I, I think about generational legacy like pretty often and especially since having children and just what mm-hmm. I want to give to them. So I think for David, it must have just been like an even sweeter part of the deal that it wasn't just that he was establishing a throne or a temple for the Lord or that the Lord was going to rest on him, but like that all of his generations would know the power on his throne and that he would be honored in that way. Wow. Yeah, it's powerful. It reminds me too of Eve, you know, like Eve probably thought the seed was within her lifetime, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I would imagine like, you know, you receive this promise and then she says to me, I think it was her third son. She's like, another seed has been born to me. And so she's thinking the fulfillment of the promise, you're right, you know? Um, and so, and even Peter and Paul, like, the way that they disciple and the way that they talk is that, that Jesus is coming soon, like almost in their lifetime or within the next generation. You know. But then Peter also talks about the delay. Jesus talks about the delay. And so like there, there is this growing or there is this uh, uh, with the scriptures that the, when they are receiving the revelation, there is an immediacy to it um, that they believe. But when you cling to the promise and you don't treat it, you don't despise it, you live for it. And so whether it's 2000 years away or 10 years away is irrelevant and should be irrelevant to us. We live for the promise and that's what provides hope for us to endure in this age. Um, so I think, yeah, same thing through for David, you know, however he thought about the promise, the promise was the promise either way, you know, yeah. it, whether it was through Solomon or through Jesus. Um, and so it, it was enough to help him to endure. And that's yeah. how I think we have to frame it best. And I, I think, I my opinion, I think David understood mm-hmm. that he, about Messiah. Because I, I just read like the Psalms that David wrote. And he yeah. prophesies about this Messiah. He's really clear. Like this is way bigger. I mean, I'm thinking of Psalm 110. Yeah. Um, it, David wrote it. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. That's good. Listen to this. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies when you go to war. Your people will serve you willingly. The Lord has taken in an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I mean, that's messianic. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's good. Language. And so I think David had insight, at least at some point. Yeah. He was, he was getting uh, insight from the spirit, I think. Yeah on where this thing was going. So what do you learn? Uh, we'll just kind of continue with the DBS here. <laughs> what do you learn about God uh, from this story? And we'll just maybe answer these next couple questions. And we'll try to be quick with that so we can get to kind of the last part. Um, 
but yeah, what what do you learn about God from Second Samuel seven? I kind of said it earlier, and it's the main thing that has that has stood out. But just that you know his faithfulness like that he actually is fulfilling has fulfilled and will fulfill right like when we say maranatha we you know it's like he he came and he is coming like there's one who was and there's one who is and who will be so i that's what i think i just see this like ancient of days thing playing out like just through all of time like you know ray referenced the edemic covenant and eve and um like from the beginning until the end he exists in faithfulness and he exists like upholding his word to his people. He has not broken a promise, you know? So I, whenever I read second Samuel seven and I'm reading what he, he's saying to David and I'm reading, you know, the Psalms and I'm reading Zechariah and I'm reading Isaiah and I'm just like, Oh my goodness, it's infiltrated everywhere. And so I think one, it's like, then it, it needs to infiltrate my own life. Like if this is the thing infiltrating scripture, it has to be the thing infiltrating my heart, my motives, mm-hmm. the way I'm interpreting these smaller promises, the way I'm raising my kids, the way I'm stewarding my marriage, like all of it, it has to be filtered through the lens of there is an overarching thing happening here. And I don't want to be on the outside of that. I yeah. actually like, get this picture a couple of days ago of, um, like leaders sitting in rocking chairs and they're just like rocking like leaders in this hour sitting in rocking chairs and they're rocking back and forth back and forth and i felt like the lord was like there's no more in and out in and out like you're in or you're going to find yourself on the outside of what the lord is doing and that's not to say there's not mercy to come in right like there's so much mercy to come in but we have to who are hungry for what it is he's doing in this hour and we have to we have to thirst for it right mm-hmm. so it this provokes me to thirst more to know like lord what are you saying and what are you establishing i don't want to miss it it's <clears throat> good. good i love that how about you ray what do, what do you learn about god um this is a super simple one but i think it's important is that we don't have to be perfect people to still walk in the lord's will David is just so far not like he's so far from perfect. And we're going to see even later in second Samuel, yeah. just how far from perfect he is, True. but he still uses us. And so I said it earlier, it's the heart posture. Like there's Mike Bickle says it all the time. There's a huge difference between somebody who um, is, is sinning and they're glad that they're sinning. And then there, there's somebody who's sinning and they are they're They're remorseful for it and they're repenting for it. Mm. And, and that's me. Like I, I have failure and I don't want to make excuses for it. I want to find my way out of it. And I think that that's David. That's and good. so, and David uses people or the Lord uses people like David. And so that's the heart posture I want to have. I'm not trying to make excuses for my sin. I'm looking to overcome it. And when I, when I do fail, I want to confess it. Um, and then I want to be used by the Lord. And I think that that's the people that the Lord uses. And so if you're thinking I got to be perfect for the Lord to, uh, to use me in the way that he's going to use me in my life. You don't, but you do need to posture your heart correctly. And that is a heart of repentance that is, is willing to admit when you mess up and, um, and to serve and to, to go low like David. And so I think if we carry that heart posture, 
he, the Lord will, will see his plans in our life through uh, until the end. So that's the big thing I see here. I love it. So that's good. I, I just agree with what you guys say. What's some stuff you learned about people from this story? And I think Ray, you kind of referenced already that he, you know, we're not disqualified because of yeah. failure. It's uh, as long as we have that heart of repentance and genuine worship. Yeah. I think one thing that stands out is just that God will honor zealous hearts for him, even if it's not perfect. Like Ray was saying, like, he, yeah, I didn't ask David to build this, actually. You can tell him this, though. But um, that I don't think, personally, that um, that conversation would have been provoked had David not. And, you know, I'm sure it all goes back to, like, the call, the anointing. Like, he was anointed for this moment. The Lord knew it would come. But the heart of what David is saying is, like, hey, I dwell in this beautiful house. The Lord dwells in a tent. So let me make for him a temple. And God's like, you know, okay, well, not necessary, but this is what I'll do. And I honestly just think it's the Lord looking at his heart. And he's just saying like, you want me. And the reward for that, the return for that is that you will have me. Mm. Mm. Come on. I yeah, I love that. And I also, I think one of the things that's um, kind of interesting to me is is like Nathan's role in this uh, story. How um, even at the beginning, you know, I mean, he knows like when David was anointed king, you know, I, I think it was Saul when he was anointed king. It was basically like once the spirit of the Lord comes on you, do whatever is in your heart to do for God is with you. It's kind of this, hey, God's going to back you just do whatever from this point on God's going to back you up. I mean, because there was an authority as King, like go ahead and do it. And I, I, you know, Nathan knows that is true about David. He's the Lord's anointed. And David's like, "Mm, I got this idea. I want to do something to honor the Lord. And and Nathan's like, dude, I love serving this King. This, your heart is in the right place. Just do it. God's going to be with you. And, but then it's interesting, even that, uh, I don't know. I guess it just makes me think like sometimes um, there's just no substitute for hearing from the Lord. And I think sometimes we can miss it. Uh, Even when, you know, I wouldn't call that a really bad miss maybe, but um, you know, cause David's heart was in a good place and, and Nathan was picking up on that. I think Nathan was like, Oh, that's, I like the worship that that feels like a God thing coming off your heart. I like it. But, but it was, but he had to hear clearly from the Lord. So I don't know. I guess what I learned about people from that is it just makes me like, um, yeah, like God help me not to like, uh, just jump out ahead of you sometimes Hmm. thinking I'm discerning something like give me the ear to hear, uh, rightly. Um, so what about in, uh, what's, what's something you learned from this story? How can you apply it in your life? And then I'm going to do, I want to spend a little bit, you know, 10 minutes or so on the very last question. We've already talked about it, but I want to actually look at a few scriptures together um, and put them up on the screen about how this points to the return of Jesus and the larger biblical story. But, um, but before application, how can you apply what you learned in this story? Go go ahead, Natasha. Um, I think it kind of, 
it goes back to my first the, the answer for the last question, but it provokes in me like I want to be one who burns for the Lord. That's just it's what I get from this. It's like I Amen. want who that Psalm one thirty two. I want to be one who like when the spirit of God is resting, that he has like found something in me that wants him there, you know, that that longs for him to be there. That's what I want my life to be about. So whatever else comes, right? Like whatever that means, whatever it looks like. I was actually thinking about um, something that I think specifically millennials and Gen Z can take from in this passage is like David wasn't doing what he was doing for the Lord for greatness. And he wasn't doing it for popularity or for more influence. He wasn't concerned if Jerusalem and Israel would understand the implications of what he was doing. He was doing it because it was on his heart to do for the Lord. And he wasn't looking for some sort of popularity from it, you know? And I think that's like a huge draw and temptation for my generation as like a stage and a platform. And so it's like, we have to be presence people. We have to be people who, if, you know, if if it's just ministering to the Lord that we're willing to faithfully steward just ministering to him because ultimately, like, what else are we really doing? Yeah. Mm. I love that. Powerful. I think I'm going to take that as my application too. Sorry, Natasha. I'm just going <laughs> to copy you. Because uh, it's, th- that. I mean, that's the <laughs> ultimate thing, right? It's God, let me have the heart of worship like David has. That's yeah. what God wants. That's and that's that's the interaction between God and his people. I just think it's a little snapshot hmm. of the eternal interaction that will be going back and forth between God and his people forever. Um of of just extravagant love and generosity on both sides toward hmm. from God to us and from us to him. And um yeah, yeah I, I want to enter into that right now and cultivate that in my heart. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Uh, I would I would just say the importance of how we think about life in general, and we were talking about it earlier um, when we were talking about what direction, where is world, where is where is world history headed? I think that this covenant is actually telling us where it's headed, and so the the practical application is how do I adjust my life to that, right? Because wisdom. If if I don't, if I think of my life as you know, I have a business, it's it's semi successful. And, and I enjoy the fruit of it. Um, and when I say semi-successful, it's more successful than I feel like I deserve. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, and so, but if that is my eschatology, is to just live out my life the rest of my days with a successful business, and like that's my end game, and I miss the main purpose, which is that I'm going to actually stand before him and answer for how I cultivated that business, right? Just using the business as an example and not really thinking through that a king is coming and that he's going to sit on the throne and that he's going to judge the nations and that he has opinions and he has thoughts related to how we lead our life and how we um, interact with our money and our time and and how we serve. And so to me, this covenant, it, it gives you a trajectory. You're looking in a direction. This is where it's going. And I have to adjust my perspective in everything that I'm doing unto that end. Um, so my, my money, um, my relationships, all of it, I can't think of it as just like, well, the Lord just, the Lord just really wanted to bless me. And so I just get to live in the blessing. And though that's true, he really does want to bless me. And I do get to enjoy the fruit of the blessing. 
there's a, a bigger part of it too, in which I have to be obedient to him with it. Right. And so how I steward it matters. And so when he sits on that throne, after I, you know, I go to, to the judgment seat, I answer for how I steward all of it. And so you can take it outside of the realm of money. You can put it in anything. How do you steward your relationships? How do you steward your inner man? How do you steward um, the, the, the body of Christ that, that you're walking with? Uh, mm-hmm. How do you steward your uh, marriage? How do you steward your resources? How do, you know, all, all of those things. And so this informs how to, how to frame all of that stuff so that you don't just think it's just for me to do whatever I want with. It's mm-hmm. not. There's a king coming. He's coming to the earth. He has thoughts and feelings about how we deal with our possessions, how we deal with our money, how we deal with our time. And that's why when John the Baptist in, in Luke chapter three, he comes and he says, I'm coming, I'm bringing the baptism of repentance. They're not like, what for what? They, they don't say like, for what? And they're like, hey, tell what do you mean kingdom? What do you, what do you mean? What does that mean? They know. They're like, what do we do? Tell us what to do to be yes. saved. That's what we want. Because they understand the implications. Oh, you're talking kingdom. You're talking Davidic covenant. That king mm-hmm. is coming. That kingdom is coming. So what do we do? And all three of, of John's answers are economic. Give away your possessions. Don't manipulate your money. Steward your life in this way. And so it's like it, it informs the whole thing. And so now all of it ends up living as, as a service to him. I'm not just thinking, how can I give 10%? Because that's the minimum. Right. I'm yeah. thinking Jesus, all hundred percent. What if, what do you want of it? It's yours. You're my Lord. I you're, and, and I want to, and I want to serve you. So that's kind of a mm-hmm. long answer, but I see this covenant as informing how we live the rest of our lives. Amen. So good. Yeah. Our story, it's natural. I think for us to just be consumed and fixated upon our story, our own personal yeah. story. But I think, um, we have to stay mindful of we're just, our story is one little part in a much bigger story, way more grand. And our part matters. It's significant. It's important, but we have to see our story in the context of the bigger story that God is building and, and build our lives accordingly um, in light of what we know is true from, from that. So, and that's Mm -hmm. so good. Yeah, that's how we build on the rock of the Sermon on the Mount. When he says build yeah, on the exactly. rock, it's like, exactly. this is how you build your life. Go ahead, mm-hmm. Natasha. Oh, I just, Heidi Baker says, um, she's like, it, everything for her comes back to the worthiness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That when you see him as the worthy one and the beautiful one, and you recognize, like, really not just here, but actually, like, deeply recognize the worthiness of the lamb, what he gave up and what he is worthy of in return, you have, you're, she says, you're left with nothing and no other response but to just offer yourself up to be spent mm-hmm. however he wants to spend you. So mm-hmm. whatever it is, wherever you're called, whatever he asks you to give up or walk away from or lay down, like all the treasures of the earth, that it's it's just nothing compared to being spent by the the, the worthy one, you know? Yeah. So good. It's perfect. Yeah. I wanted to just, just real quickly, I just wanted to just highlight a couple just scriptures. Couldn't help just yourself ref- on that Isaiah 11, could you? I know we're going to look at this in depth next week, but again, Isaiah prophesies, you know, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Um, Yes. A new branch bearing fruit from the old root. It's kind of a a quirky little wording, 
uh, that he uses there, almost parabolic. Um, and, and the, the idea, and then he goes on to describe the anointing of the spirit that's on this descendant of David as the Messiah and what his reign will be like. And it says in verse 10, in that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world and the nations will rally to him and the land where he lives. Again, that's Abrahamic covenant language. Jerusalem will be a glorious place. And of course he describes it. I cut out some verses in there because we're going to look at it next time. But I think it's interesting. The, the word stump of David's family, you know, when you picture a, a tree stump, it's almost like a tree that was once glorious and in full bloom and beautiful is now cut down. Like it's almost look like it's just a stump left. It almost looks like it's days are over. Um, it's, it's, the, the fruit is never going to come again from that. It's just a stump. And, and it's this picture of like David's family is just his dynasty almost looks like it's, it's a stump at some point. Um, even now we don't see a descendant of David as a King of Israel. We see the nation of Israel is back, but you may know more about this than me, but I, I, I don't think that the a descendant of David is yet reinstalled actively ruling as king of Israel right now in the city of Jerusalem. Um, it's not there. It, it almost, and before that, there was no nation of Israel. So it almost looks like Davidic dynasty. That thing was, it had its day. And I think, but Isaiah's like, no, out of that stump, it looks like it's nothing. A shoot is going to grow. Hmm. And it's the Messiah who is a descendant of David, a new branch who will bear root from or fruit from the old root. And then he goes on to describe that, that is going to be a, that tree in its greatest day back in Solomon is going to have its greatest day is yet to come and uh, mm. of that tree. So I, I just, I love that language. I think um, we, like, but it hasn't fully happened yet. And I don't want to get too far because I know you will next week, but like verse 12, he will raise a signal for the nations and assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Jews live everywhere right now, you know, descendants of Judah and of Israel, they're all over. And we're seeing, I think, like even just with what's happening in Ukraine, something like 200,000 Jews returned to Israel. With Russia. Wow. So we're seeing this start to unfold, but it's not in fullness yet. Yes. Yeah. Amen. And that's, um, and then I'll just show this couple scriptures here too, that refer to the Davidic covenant. Matthew 1, 1 is probably, I love this one because Matthew is writing his gospel. Specifically, uh, he's aiming it at the, the Jewish people. So he's appealing to people who are deeply familiar with the, the, the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. And they, they're, you know, this Messiah, if, if you're going to convince a Jewish person that Jesus is the Messiah, like they're not even going to give you the time of day and listen to you if that Jesus isn't a descendant of Abraham or a descendant of David. And I love the very first sentence that Matthew starts his gospel. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. And then he gives the genealogy to prove it <laughs> that he actually is. He's like, let's just deal with this right up front because I know like you're not going to listen to another thing I say. If I don't establish this, and again, that's um, referring to that Davidic covenant, Matthew 21, 9. And guys, feel free to interrupt me if you, there's something you want to say on any of these verses. Matthew 21, 9. This is the triumphal entry as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. 
And these people, they're wanting him to, they're at this moment, they're thinking of him as the Messiah. And Jesus was in the center of the procession. And this is like a, a little tiny foreshadowing of the, the return of Jesus, the ultimate procession. He's going to have the escort of escorts uh, into the city of Jerusalem. But um, Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Again, because they knew that's the Messiah that they're expecting. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. Of course, Jesus gets crucified instead of coronated <laughs> at that moment. Um, but anyway, Jesus is coming back again. And uh, but that's another thing I won't go. <laughs> uh, and then this scripture, too. I want to just look at two more. This is Revelation twenty two sixteen. I love this. I, Jesus have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I love this statement. He says, I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. Mm. That's such an awesome Power. statement. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I am God who created David, but I'm the one who was talking to David and said, eh, one of your descendants. That's yeah. so crazy to think I'm about. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's one of authority. your descendants, me, yeah. will sit on your throne forever. <laughs> That's just awesome. And um, it says, um, what is that? Verse 16. It says, it actually says the word root, just like in Isaiah 11. Oh, very that, good. Um, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you to testify to you about these things for the church. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star, the spirit and the bride say, Come. Amen. And again, this is a small sample. This is the last verse I'll look at, but there's so many. I mean, there's it's it's all over the place. It is all over the scriptures, yeah. referring back to the Davidic covenant, the Messiah being the son of David. I mean, that title is like, I know where I used to read that. I'm like, oh yeah, Jesus is the son of David. And it didn't register with me how significant that was. But I just think once you see it, it's just, it makes the scriptures just come alive. Here's Peter is preaching preaching. In Acts chapter 2, and he says, Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Anyway. So powerful. Yeah. yeah. I just love the verses. Any other thoughts, guys, that you wanted to throw out there before we kind of close, you know, shut down here? I've exhausted all of my thoughts. All right. Wow. That's <laughs> something right there. <laughs> you got so many good ones. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I hear you. Okay. Well, hey, Natasha, thank you so much. This has been so rich having you on here. And um, just thanks for joining us and taking, you know, a bunch of your time. Yeah. Um, we'll do it again. Yeah, for sure. We need to do it again. So 
Thanks for jumping on. And again, check out Natasha's uh, Instagram uh, at Natasha K Burgess. And um, yeah, there it is. And uh, so encourage you to check that out. She's got some great videos that she makes just like short little TikTok videos um, on different things about the return of Jesus and how to posture hearts in light of that, that are, that are excellent resource. Um, Okay. Yeah. And then uh, again, encourage you to uh, like, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel and um, you know, like it, share it with others, hit the notification bell so you can join the live chat and throw your comments in there and make it a better show your questions. Thank you, Lydia, for asking your question today. And, um, and then again, if you want to um, just learn more about the biblical story, I encourage you to check out the book that I wrote. Um, you can just scan the QR code with your phone and it'll take you right to it on Amazon. Paradise, God's eternal plan for people in the earth. And they give you an overview of uh, the biblical storyline. So thanks for joining us today, guys. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, the next show where we're going to talk about the reign of the descendant of David, the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 11. God bless you.